And welcome back to Coast to Coast. George Norrie along with Joshua Warren. We'll take your calls with Josh as we talk about the paranormal realm. Or if you have a story about a haunted uh, doll, jump aboard. What makes these dolls so haunted, Josh? Well, you know, I honestly do believe that uh, it has something to do with the shape of a thing. Um, And really, if you look at how, sort of going back to broadcasting, how it works in general, certain antennas uh, work better than others because of the shape. It also kind of ties back to sacred geometry. Uh, And, uh, in fact, when it comes to electrical theory, you have certain shapes like balls or spheres or domes that tend to naturally store up energy, and then other shapes like needles or sharp points that do the opposite, that uh, actually radiate energy, which is why you have something like a lightning rod that you put on top of your house that allows the electricity to leak away rather than build up on your house so that your house gets hit by lightning. So uh, shape has a lot to do with it. But the deeper mystery here is what kinds of shapes tend to correspond with this life energy, this life force. And uh, in fact, I recently uh, did uh, one of my podcasts about um, organ energy. Uh, And by the way, for those who want to hear more about Kennedy, uh, the specific episode of Strange Things where I talk about Kennedy is episode 158. 158, okay. Yeah, and those are all free. Uh, Again, just go to coasttocoastam.com, and you'll see the link at the top there to the Paranormal Podcast Network. Um, New one comes out every Friday. But 158 is where I talk about Kennedy. And in one of my recent shows, it was episode 155, I was talking about organ and chakras. And uh, I actually created a kit called the Master Manifester Kit. I only have a few of these left, but they're on my website there in the Curiosity Shop. And the idea is that, you know, Wilhelm Reich was this very controversial scientist who lived from 1897 to 1957. And he was a, a psychoanalyst, and um, he, he was a member of um, – well, he was a, a friend of Sigmund Freud. He knew Albert Einstein. And he became fascinated by the idea of a bioenergy similar to what ancients may have called chi or ki or prana, and trying to figure out if there were certain shapes and designs that could connect with that bioenergy. And uh, without getting too technical, people who are into electrical theory probably know what a capacitor or a condenser is. Essentially, if you have layers of conductors with non-conductors like glass and aluminum foil, um, you can store energy in there very much like you can store energy in in a battery. And it just naturally stores up energy to a critical point, electricity, and then it discharges it. And Wilhelm Reich, he started trying to see if he could create something like a capacitor, but to do the same thing with bioenergy, what he called organ. And so he started layering organic and inorganic materials. So, for example, he might take wood, which is organic, and then something like uh, rocks or fiberglass, which is inorganic, and he would layer these things. And he said that it would actually build up this bioenergy And he called these things organ accumulators. Uh, And he actually started using them to heal people, which got him into trouble because it was considered quackery. And he ended up dying in prison, actually, uh, because of his work. Wow. Yeah, he he had an apparatus he developed, didn't he? Yeah, he had all kinds. Uh, He had – well, he he 
used the organ accumulator technology, and he developed that into what he called cloud busters, which were these big, tall metal rods that you would point into the air at certain angles. Usually you would attach them to a natural source of water like a stream or a pond or, or a river. And uh, he could manipulate the weather with that. Uh, he claimed that he could actually trigger UFO sightings. Um, basically, Oregon is the life energy, and it's not just the life energy of humans, but also of the entire planet, of all the weather systems. The planet's a big living thing, and we can interact with it by manipulating Oregon. And the point is, he was sort of pioneering this idea that there are certain shapes that tend to connect with this bioenergy. And if you consider that, you know, humans, whatever humans are, we all kind of look the same. I mean, theoretically, you know, we, we have at this point, you know, two eyes and two arms and two legs, etc. cetera. Um, so there's something about the shape of a human which seems to correspond nicely with the, the, the bioenergy field. And so it may be that when you create something like a doll, even though it's a much more crude and simplistic rendition of this form, there's still just enough there so that via sympathetic resonance, you can take some of your bioenergy, some of your organ, and you can, you can put it into that shape. And so I think the design of the doll means a lot, and that's why that sometimes when people are practicing something like voodoo, they don't even need a physical doll. They can have a picture or a drawing or some kind of a representation and find some success using that as a witness sample as well. Good point. Let's go to the phones. Let's go to first-time caller Kelly in California. Hello, Kelly. Hey, I've got a bunch of cool stories, but I'll limit it to three. Um, I would appreciate it if your listeners would get a hiking compass and draw it across the back of their cellular device or perhaps their landline telephone speaker or microphone and notice that magnetic north completely reverses when the phone is in the off position Hmm. and it pulses as well. And uh, in this radiation protection booklet, because I'm an applied kinesiologist doctor of chiropractic and state of California radiological health branch x-ray supervisor operator, And page 67 of the seventh edition of this book states, no radiation dose can be considered absolutely safe. The skeleton of mankind and of everything with the breath of life in it absorbs nine times more than the soft tissues. And when I was a youngster, My mom was into these really creepy porcelain dolls with porcelain legs and heads. And uh, I'm not exactly a princess. You know, I'm more of like a tomboy. And when I was in first or second grade, my cool stepdad, who turbocharged all kinds of things, Ford Pintos, uh, Mercedes-Benz, took me to the Pike in Long Beach and took me on that roller coaster, the big wooden roller coaster, and boy, that scared the, you know, what out of me. And they, uh, he won this inflatable cylindrical 
a 7-Up can and anchored it to the ceiling in my bedroom in an all-electric house in Anaheim, California. And later that night, the creepy cylinder can started dancing on its string in my bedroom. And um, I just want to thank you for um, covering this topic and for taking my call. And if you have any comments, I'd love to hear them. Josh, jump on these. (laughs) Well, thank you, Kelly. And, uh, you know, I, I appreciate your call because you bring up some of the things that I find most interesting about simple techniques that we can use to investigate the invisible world around us. Uh, You know, you have people who contact me and they say, hey, I want to become a paranormal investigator. Tell me what meters I need to buy and, you know, what classes I need to take. And the first thing I tell people is I wrote this book. It's it's, It's not very big by design. It's called Poor Man's Paranormal. And I I put it out there years ago. It's on my website if you go to joshuapwarren.com. And uh, it basically is a guide to use how to use common household items to investigate mysterious fields and paranormal activity. And it's divided into ghosts and UFOs and cryptids and psychic phenomena. And uh, I mean, I'm telling you for for pennies, if not for free, you can build devices that will help you detect strange things. A compass is one of the most useful devices, because just like you were saying, if you take a compass, which is always supposed to point toward magnetic north, um, and you see that compass deviate, if you see that it starts to spin or it switches around in some way, that means it's being influenced by some type of a powerful magnetic or electromagnetic right. field from somewhere magnetized yeah that's nearby that's nearby and in fact uh, i usually make a habit of keeping a compass uh, around my workspace and sometimes i find that if i start talking about a spooky topic i'll look down and the compass will start spinning i go oh boy i don't think i'm alone in here anymore that's a very easy tool to to, to just walk around with you know, walk around your property and uh, and see if you have some type of an anomalous electromagnetic field which might be associated with the paranormal. Secondly, uh, electrostatic fields will definitely affect things that are uh, are sensitive that are dangling from the ceiling. So uh, you know how you can take a, a balloon and you can sort of rub it on your hair and then stick it to the wall. Well, um, balloons are great because they are so reactive to electrostatic fields. You can just hang balloons up around your house, or you can hang streamers, uh, similar things, just like that inflatable can you were talking about, Kelly. You can hang this up in, a, in an area, and, uh, and you might even make a whole grid of them. And if something like an, a, a paranormal electrostatic field moves through, something that might be ghostly or, or otherwise, or if a UFO flies over, a lot of times that will create a charge, you can not only see it move these things, but you might even be able to trace its path. So, for example, one time I was investigating a haunted house in North Carolina where I'm from, and I took a bunch of these, like, party streamers and cut them into really thin slices and probably hung a 100 of these things off of the ceiling of a room and then put a camera in the room and just left it for hours. And at one point, uh, something obviously entered and passed through that room, and you could see 
the pathway this invisible energy form was taking by seeing it move those streamers as it as it wandered around the room. So the, I love the idea of using very simple, very practical means of investigating these otherwise invisible fields. Josh, how did you get involved in paranormal work in the first place? Well, going back to my upbringing, you know, I was born and raised in Asheville, North Carolina, heart of the Blue Ridge Mountains. And um, my family on both sides have been in that area since the late 1700s. And so I grew up hearing all kinds of wonderful stories about not only the history of that region, but uh, legends, folklore, a lot of ghost stories that was very popular among the pioneers and the early settlers, as well as a lot of the fascinating stories from the Native Americans. And I, my mom was one of 10 kids, and my dad was one of seven kids. Wow. And it seemed, yeah, it's a big, big family. I don't even know how many cousins I have. And so when, uh, when I grew up, I was always hearing stories about, like, somebody encountering something paranormal. So I believe that we all grew up at, out in the sticks, and somebody would always have a story about, like, I saw a, a guy hitchhiking on the side of the road, and then he vanished in front of me, and just, like, the stories went on and on. And also there was a lot of reliance on sort of uh, psychic ability because the, the pioneers and the settlers, they believed that they, they had to use what we would consider psychic ability to survive. They, they, they had a survival instinct and an intuition. So I, I was always intrigued with these stories. And so when I was just a teenager, I started writing some of these tales down, and I also started making up stories and uh, I published a book when I was only 14, 15 years old that was a book of scary short stories and poems. And it did well enough that the local newspaper, the Asheville Citizen Times, invited me to start writing articles. And so here I was, 15, not even old enough to drive. And uh, my parents would drive me around the region, and I would interview people who had haunted houses or people who'd seen UFOs or had seen a, a little person. And, um, and I would write articles about it. And you know what? At first, I thought this is all just fun and entertainment, but these people, they just seem so sincere, so believable on so many occasions that I thought to myself, well, okay, if there's something real here, I want to document it because that's really going to make my article a heck of a lot better. And so over time, in order to become a better writer, I started learning how to become uh, a better scientific thinker, and uh, eventually I became an apprentice for a man named Charles Yost, who was a NASA Hall of Fame engineer uh -huh. at a laboratory there in West North Carolina, and uh, I worked with him on many, many projects with uh, high-voltage electrostatics, Wimshurst generators, and Van de Graaff machines, and uh, a lot of electric spacecraft technology. Uh, I learned a lot about how to run a laboratory just by hanging out with him. And so what that boils down to is that over time, um, I became interested in the relationship between matter and energy and these bizarre ways that matter can just materialize out of the blue right at these places where people say they're experiencing the paranormal. And it took me a long time before I ever actually started experiencing the paranormal myself but now I'm far more of a believer than I was when I was a teenager because now I've seen enough to know that, look, the paranormal stuff is rare. That's why we call it paranormal, but it is real. Let's go to Brendan in Austin, Texas on the wild card line. Hey, Brendan. 
Hi, thanks, guys. You're I welcome. I tried to call, and uh, the internet crashed right whenever the dialing stopped. I got on the line, and my internet crashed. <laughs> I was able to, yeah, super weird. I was able to put it back up, but I'll be quick because we're about to run out of time. Uh, thanks, George and Josh. Creepy show tonight. Indeed. Uh, jo- Josh, I had a couple questions. What's the average level of intelligence EVP you get? Do you think EVP is inherently dangerous? And are you planning on trying to communicate with the doll with EVP? Uh, if he doesn't answer those, how comfortable are you with EVP? And just for kicks, I don't know if you're going to have time to answer this, but or if you can pick it up later, just for everybody to think about. How does the K2 EMF energy that he's talking about right now fall into Newton's third law, three laws with the energy not just being created out of nowhere, just disappearing out of nowhere, just for people to think about. But thanks guys. All right. Give us some EVPs, uh, Josh, some discussion. Yeah. Well, thank you, Brendan. You know, EVP is one of the most popular areas of research, but I am just not a big proponent of EVP electronic voice phenomena. I have captured some stuff that I think is pretty chilling But the problem is um, it's just almost impossible to distinguish between what you would think of as a paranormal audio recording and pareidolia, uh, which is, you know, pareidolia in visual terms is like looking at uh, the man in the moon or uh, looking at a cloud and forming some type of of an animal out of it. So... Whenever I get some type of an audio recording that I think might be paranormal, here is what I do. I will play that recording for at least five different people, and I will not tell them what I think it says. And if all five of those people hear the same thing, then I will say, okay, we we may have something here. But that almost never happens. And, um, you know, I have a friend named Dean Worsing who lives in Maryland, and he is actually an EVP instructor at a community college. So I usually pass that kind of stuff along to Dean when EVP comes in because, you know, especially if you only have audio, um, you just can't know what all was happening in the room at the time. At least if it's audio from a video recording, you've got some visuals to to make sure that there wasn't somebody around or something moving or creaking. So I'm just not a big enthusiast of of EVP in general. And sometimes Uh, that's tough, Josh. Sometimes it's tough to hear them. Sometimes you hear something like that. We'll be back with more calls with Joshua P. Warren in a moment on Coast to Coast AM. And welcome back. George Norrie with you along with Joshua P. Warren and your final calls. Let's go to Joe in Monterey, California to get us started. Go ahead, Joseph. Thank you, George, for taking my call. Sure thing, Joe. Uh, two quick stories about objects that uh, can be uh, haunted. Mm-hmm. Uh, a friend and I uh, went for a ride. She wanted to go uh, for a ride. We went upstate. We found this little town, and it had an antique store. It was like a house of horrors. All it was dark, and all these objects—they were almost grotesque looking. Uh, we got out of there, but I think we might have taken something with us, without a price tag, George, free. And uh, I had to um, uh, depossess both of us from a distance, and uh, we got rid of whatever it was. You were lucky to do that. Uh huh. Oh well, yeah, but uh, y- yes, lucky to do it. Unlucky to have to do it. Uh, a friend of mine 
uh, went to a party, and I knew uh, the people there, and I knew this one person, and, and I didn't tell her to avoid him. But she said that she, she bought some kind of artwork from him, like a design. And she said, and I, I asked her some questions, some questions, and she said, yeah, I feel kind of uncomfortable. I feel kind of sick. She says, throw that out. This person is connected to something extremely dark. And that object, that that artwork, uh, is is a is like a cord from whatever he created to uh, whatever he was involved in. When she got rid of it, she burned it in a, in a fireplace. The house cleared up. She could think, and it was okay. So, uh, Joshua, what do you suggest uh, to people if they want to go to antique stores? Uh, what should they do to protect themselves if they can? Well, you know, uh, Joe, thank you for those stories, and you bring up a really interesting question here because I know a number of people who absolutely will not go to antique stores because of the reasons that you've just cited, yes. um, especially people who are naturally kind of intuitive, sensitive psychics. Um, they just can't bear to walk into a room that has so much energetic baggage not to mention the idea of, of buying something like that and then taking it into one's home. And in fact, uh, it's been well known for a long time that some of the best antique dealers uh, have an ability called psychometry, meaning that they can walk into uh, a room and they are naturally drawn to certain objects and that person can hold that object and then uh, somehow sense its history, uh, whether it is a flash like a movie or it's just something that uh, is, is more of um, just an, an intuitive connection. So all objects honestly do carry some type of, um, of baggage along those lines. And so, you know, I love going to antique stores. Uh, I'm not one of those people who who necessarily avoids them, but I certainly have things that I uh, I don't like to, to bring out of them. What I do when I'm about to go into an antique store, especially if I step in and I get a negative feeling, is I use one of the oldest tricks in the book, and that is the visualization of a white light. Because if you consider that we are talking about some kind of a spiritual energy around these things, for lack of a better term, then that means that you should be able to protect yourself from them by using a spiritual mechanism. And we are able to manipulate the spirit around our bodies through visualization. And so uh, if you are not particularly focused on your own bioenergy field because you're distracted, you're watching a movie or you're, you're doing something else, then um, you're not really going to be protecting yourself necessarily. But if you just stop for a moment and you take some deep breaths, especially if you close your eyes, and you start to feel the, the field around your body, and there are actually odd little exercises you can do to help you if you have a problem with that. Uh, one of them is you can take your hands and briskly rub them together for about five or ten seconds, and then you can 
put your hands facing, you know, palms facing each other about six inches apart, and then draw them as close together as you can without touching them, and then pull them six inches apart, and then draw them as close together as you can without touching them. You do this a few times, you'll start to feel this kind of a, a magnetic sensation, a, a heat, a thickness, a tingle around your hands. This is you becoming aware of your own bioenergy field. Once you have this awareness, you start imagining what that field looks like around you, and as you take deep breaths, you imagine that field expanding into what looks like a bright white egg around you. This is an aura of protection. It's probably somewhat similar to the halos, perhaps, that have been described in ancient sacred texts. You think about this field of energy around you knowing that nothing can permeate that, and then with that mindset, you walk through the antique store, and uh, you definitely want to be very careful about what you touch. But um, I, have, uh, I have purchased some things at antique stores that, that I regret purchasing. Um, and uh, occasionally, here in Las Vegas, we do a show called uh, Paranormal Vegas, where I break out some of my more spooky, cursed, and haunted things. But uh, I don't keep those things at my house. <laughs> Josh, what is it about dolls that haunted entities possess? Why do they do that? Because they have bodies? Yeah, I believe so. Because, you know, if the life, force comes from a person. And, you know, going back to Robert the Haunted Doll, for example, um, a doll is just a doll. You know, it's, it's a lump of inanimate material. But uh, this woman who, was, um, who worked for the family, she apparently decided to surrender a piece of her spirit to this doll. And so uh, by having that doll there in that form, um, it made it easier for her to to do that uh, because she could more easily imagine it being alive. Uh, it has to do with uh, these are these are tools and tricks that you can use anytime you're going to manifest something or visualize something. Uh, that's why that you know like I, I'm always talking about these kits and stuff that I, I have on my website to help you manifest things. Part of it is is what tricks your mind into believing something is alive. And if I put down a um, a, a, a wooden block in front of you, and I tell you to give it a spirit to breathe life into it, that's going to be very difficult for you to do because you're not aware of something that looks like that having life. You just can't relate to it. But if I take that wooden block and I carve it into a shape that has a head and two eyes and two ears and a mouth and two arms and two legs, now you can look at that same block of wood but you can start believing that it has life. You've tricked yourself. It's a hack. It's a manifestation hack in a way that allows you to start putting your energy into it. And I think that's the power of uh, art in general and, and visualization in general. Um, oftentimes, in order to get something to, to work in, in a magical or a manifesting way, uh, the first thing that you have to do is sort of trick yourself into believing that it's real. And you can do that by creating something that resembles something that you already know is capable of having life. West of the Rockies, Catherine's with us in British Columbia, Canada. Hey, Catherine. Oh, hi, George. Hi, Joshua. I, I, I just think any doll is creepy because they got eyes. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's too creepy for 
for me. And, and when you're talking about imagining all these things and stuff, I, I was thinking of that movie, and you know, um, the uh, was it Wilson? You mean he was out, out on yeah, with, the, with Tom Hanks, right? Yeah, yeah. So he made Wilson talk to him. Okay, but my question is. Have you ever come across twin dolls? Twin dolls. Well, thank you so much for answering. (laughs) Twin twin dolls, Josh, ever find those? Uh, You know, I can't say that I have. Um, Not not yet, anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that, that is an interesting concept because, you know, I've always been interested in human identical twins because... Uh, you know, they, they more or less share the same DNA, but they have unique fingerprints. And uh, earlier this year, I listened to you interview uh, a palmist, George. Yes. And, uh, and he was pointing that out, that, you know, even identical twins have different fingerprints. So, you know, if one of them commits a crime and you got the fingerprints, you can tell which one did it. Um, and so I, I, and then I've known identical twins throughout my life, and I, I think every single time I've talked to a, a pair of identical twins, they have told me that they have t- telepathic experiences. Uh, and you know, what, by by what standards you judge that scientifically, that's a different matter. But they all have told me that they believe that. So now, how would that apply to dolls? Well, very interesting. Um, I can't say that I'm aware of a pair of identical dolls or twin dolls that um, that are supposedly haunted. But, boy, I bet if you could come across a pair like that, then uh, you could do some really interesting experiments by, by placing them in different locations and maybe manipulating one in some fashion to see if the other reacts. Um, that kind of makes my mind run wild with, with possible mad scientist experiments but uh i maybe at this point somebody will email me if they are aware of such a couple but uh, i don't think i've ever come across that before let's go to ruth in maryland take it away ruthie hi george and josh thank you for taking my call and um this is a very interesting show and i had to call in because at one time i owned a doll exactly like the one you're talking about looked exactly like that and i actually bought it down there josh around where you are from. It wasn't Asheville, but it was, um, I bought it at a flea market somewhere down there in the mountains. And I had it for years. It was in the 80s. And at the time that I had it, I did have a lot of strange things happening, a lot of paranormal things happening in my home, and they weren't good things. It was bad. And I never associated anything with the doll before. But one, my sister-in-law used to, when they used to come spend the night, I did exactly also, ha- as you said, I had it sitting in its own little chair. He had, I had a little chair for it, and he had his own bedroom. I had it in the guest room. And my sister-in-law used to make me take the doll out of there because it creeped her out. But she never mentioned that it did anything. Or, um, And uh, I was wondering, do you think that could have been some of the calls? And Back to Joe's question again, could something like this, if the doll um, is possessed, can it be cleansed or exercised? Um, Thank you. Yeah, well, thank you for that call, Ruth. Um, Well, you know, I am not aware 
of any haunted doll being cleared or cleansed. Um, and that's also also a very interesting point uh, that you're bringing up there for that reason, because, you know, you you think of uh, haunted places being cleared, um, but haunted objects, I, you know, I, I think that once they become infused with something, uh, it's almost like that uh, it, it's going to be there, I don't know, forever, but let me put it this way. If you take something like a uh, like a nail, like a steel nail, and you try to pick up paper clips with it like like a magnet, it's probably not going to work. But then when you take a magnet and you stroke it down the side of that nail in the same direction for I don't know thirty seconds, a minute, well now the nail is magnetized and you can pick up paper clips with it. And this happens because the molecules inside that nail are originally kind of mixed up all over the place. And then when you take this magnet, which is very strong, and you stroke it in the same direction, it polarizes these molecules. It aligns them, and that's what makes the nail magnetic. And that nail will stay magnetic for a long time, sometimes for years. And it will eventually run out. But um, I think that's similar to what happens with these objects. Once this very highly charged energy is directed on them, it sort of polarizes them, and they take on this spiritual energy. And I think we might be able to contain it. We might be able to scramble it if we put them in a, in a room with a Tesla coil and all kinds of crazy electrical things. But I, I can't say for sure that there's any way to clear these things once they are truly possessed. Joshua P. Warren's website linked up at coasttocoastam.com. Thanks, Josh. We will be back in a moment to talk about the spirit world. 